the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book Four, Susan's Bridge. A little author's note before we begin is that chapter 19 turned out to be a little longer than expected, so I broke it down into a part one and part two. There was a fairly convenient topic break about halfway through, so I went with that. And now let's get started. Chapter 19, Contested Decision, Part 1 Kirk returned to the lean-to with another armload of firewood. He carefully added the new logs to a tidy stack beside the fire. Heather sat in the lean-to, warming her hands by the fire. Blake played a few yards away, trying to throw his pocket knife so it stuck in a tree. Susan stood a few yards away from the lean-to, her backpack leaning against her leg. She felt she knew Heather's decision. Aaron stood beside Susan, with her tragic eyebrows fully engaged. I have decided to accept your kind offer, Heather said with a touch of gravity. Ah, that is excellent, purred Kirk. That just leaves us a few formalities to attend to. Kirk began unlacing his boots. Susan hefted up her backpack and slipped it on. So, I guess I will be going then. Oh, Kirk looked up from his untying. You'll not be part of the family unit, friend? No, I have some place I need to get to. Ah, a pity, said Kirk. It would have been nice to include you, but Heather seems more than capable. She does have her family to consider. He slid off his boots. He took a seat next to Heather on the blankets. She looked a little surprised. Kirk studied Heather's face for a moment. We have the business of terms to discuss. Right, Heather? Heather's surprised reaction triggered an alarm bell in Susan's head. Heather was not complaining or protesting yet, but not looking at all comfortable either. Before you go, friend, Kirk said without looking over, perhaps you could do Heather one last favor. Take her kids for a walk in the woods for uh, an hour. A cold shiver ran down Susan's back. Kirk expected an immediate down payment for the promised housing. Physical favors as barter commodity were common enough in the new cashless society. Perhaps that was the arrangement Heather had agreed to. Susan knew virtually nothing of Heather's character, and less of Kirk's. It was not her place to judge another woman's barter deal. She did, however, have some experience with consensual intent. In college, there were a few occasions when Susan entered the dorm room to see one of her roommates and a boyfriend seated on a bed. The roommate asked Susan to visit the library for an hour. Everyone knew why. The roommate always had what Susan called bedroom eyes, as she asked. The guy always had an insipid grin. Heather didn't have bedroom eyes. Instead, her eyes were wide and tending tragic. Kirk had the vestiges of an insipid grin. Yeah, but I don't want to go for a walk, complained Blake. 
Heather jumped a little, as if poked in the back. Ah, please go for a walk, uh, dear. Her voice was a few notes higher than normal, and laced with a faint tremolo. Things did not appear consensual. Susan began to swing around her rifle, to insist on some separation between Kirk and Heather, and a fuller explanation of the terms of their agreement. But before she could get her hand on the grip, Kirk flashed out a large chrome revolver. Stop right there, friend, he said. Where did that come from? Susan wondered. It looks as if you're going to mishandle dangerous firearms. Most irresponsible. He had the muzzle pointed directly at Susan's head. Her mind raced for options, but at the moment, there were none. She couldn't get her rifle in position faster than he could pull the trigger. She could duck off to one side, but that wouldn't get the gun in her hands. Aaron was standing beside her. She might get hit by mistake. The only option seemed to be to wait for things to change and better options to appear. These are unsafe conditions for us all, said Kirk in a lecturing tone. What we need are some common-sense solutions. Firearms in the hands of rash and irresponsible people, well, those can cause injuries. We cannot allow dangerous conditions to persist. Blake, little buddy, would you go and relieve friend of her dangerous firearm? Me? Yes, bring it to me. Blake stepped up to Susan. She remained frozen in mid-draw. Blake pulled the rifle out of her hand. What about my dad's rifle? Blake asked. Yes, relieve her of that one, too, Kirk said. Blake tugged on the Remington sling to pull it off of Susan's shoulder. Yes, he held his father's rifle high in a triumphal pose. He racked the bolt, relishing the sounds. Finally, he said to himself. He looked up at Susan. Now I've got it. He brandished the rifle around for a few moments. Pow, 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 pow. Squire Blake, bring them to me. Kirk's tone was firm. But I just got it back. These things make us all unsafe, purred Kirk. We don't want anyone to be unsafe now, do we? Uh, no, Blake hung his head. Good answer. You really are a young man with common sense. Bring them here. I shall keep them all secure so no one gets hurt. He said the last words to Heather. Aw, oh, man. Blake reluctantly delivered the two rifles to Kirk, who leaned them against his backpack. Does she have any other firearms? Kirk asked Blake. Well, she's got a revolver in her waistband. Blake pointed to Susan's middle. Ah, excellent work, Blake. That is excellent. I can tell you want everyone to be safe. Kirk mumbled something to Heather. She quickly took off her boots and handed them to him. He tossed them a few yards away. He mumbled something else to her. Kirk stood and walked slowly toward Susan, even though he was wearing only socks on his feet. I sensed there was something irresponsible about you from the beginning, friend. 
he stepped behind her and pushed the muzzle into her side. He pulled her backpack off and tossed it behind him. He patted around her waist until he felt the revolver. Ah, a little sting in your tail, eh, Miss Scorpion? You certainly are a danger to everyone. I'll just relieve you of this dangerous knife, too. We don't want anyone getting hurt, now do we? Susan didn't say a word. With a gun in her back, there weren't even nanoseconds for her to do anything. She hoped he might slip in the snow or stumble on a rock, though she wasn't sure what she would do if that happened. He still had a huge gun, and she had nothing. She regretted not keeping her hands on the rifle at all times, but even if she had, he could have drawn on her before she had sights even close to him. He was fast. In fact, Kirk growled, I think you need a little time out, so you can reflect on your poor choices today. He grabbed her by one wrist and pulled her backward, still with the barrel pushed into her back. He pulled until she felt her back hit a young maple tree. He yanked her hands behind the tree. She heard the teeth of a zip-tie buzz against the edge of a pocket. Not again! Memories flooded back from when the guardsman zip-tied her hands together. Back then she had crossed her wrist like she was told. There was no slack to try to wiggle free. She wasn't going to let that happen again. Kirk struggled, trying to get her wrist crossed with his one free hand. She kept her thumbs firmly together and clenched her fists tight. She hoped the position would allow some slack to develop. She heard the zipping sound and felt the strap dig into her wrists. Kirk leaned close. This deal's better as a twofer. You and her can split the rent payments. From here, you should be able to watch how payment is made without causing any unsafe situations. We don't want anyone to get hurt. He pushed her chin to direct her eyes toward Aaron and Blake. The bottom dropped out of her soul. Kirk could be planning to get rid of Aaron and Blake regardless. His only interest was in collecting rent. He stomped back toward the lean-to. You kids go and sit on that log over there. Sit facing the woods. Eh, but it's cold, Blake objected. Do as you're told, growled Kirk. He sat beside Heather again. Heather flinched as he grabbed a handful of the back of her shirt. He muttered something to her. Oh, uh, be a good boy for Mommy. Okay. Mom? Blake half turned as he sat. Both his and Aaron's eyes were wide. They might not know exactly what Kirk intended to do, but they could sense that things were bad. Heather swallowed hard to try and smooth out her voice. Uh, it, it will be okay, baby. Uh, just talk with your sister a while. Kirk pressed Heather's shoulders back. Aaron and Blake looked at Susan with frozen panic in their eyes. Susan had worked one hand up to nearly the knuckles. She tried to work the zip-tie only when Kirk was looking away. The zip-tie scraped and cut into her skin, but there was still a little slack. She pointed her hand, cupped her palm to make her hand as small as possible. She twisted one hand free. The sudden feeling of freedom was an unexpected rush. 
For a moment, she felt the urge to run as fast as she could. Kirk was still in his socks and preoccupied. Revolvers aren't that accurate at distances. She could build a substantial lead or maybe even escape him. A small whine from Heather cleared her mind. They all needed to get away, not just her. Blake and Aaron noticed the change in Susan's footing. Susan held her free hands out behind the trees so that they could see, but Kirk couldn't. Their look of panic turned to shock and surprise. Susan shook her head and made a shushing gesture with her lips. She tipped her head toward them, trying to ask if they were okay. Blake shrugged. Aaron shook her head slightly with a now-what gesture. Susan saw her backpack a couple of yards ahead of her. Her hunting stick was still lashed to its side. She judged the distances. Kirk was closer than a squirrel or a rabbit. He would have little time to react. Kirk was busy fussing with Heather's belt. Susan knew Kirk would see her drop down to her pack. There would be no element of surprise. Susan caught the kids' eyes. She silently gestured with her mouth, blah, 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 and tipped her head toward Kirk. Aaron nodded and whispered to Blake. The two of them began talking all at once. Hey, it's cold no, over we here. we want to go now. I thought I heard a bear. My foot hurts. Shut up, Kirk looked up. Much as a vulture might glance up from its prey, you two just keep faith in the woods. Susan dropped to her knees and lunged toward her pack. She slipped the cords off her hunting stick and rolled right onto her feet. She reeled back and threw with extra force. Kirk noticed Susan stand up. He propped himself on one arm so he could reach for his revolver. He looked up just in time for the stick to smack across his forehead. The impact sent him tumbling backward. Susan ran to the lean-to with no plan other than to get Heather away from him. Kirk was patting around on the blanket, trying to feel for his gun. Susan got to it first, with an outstretched leg. She kicked it into the snow with a flick of her ankle. Susan pulled at Heather's arm to get her on her feet, lest Kirk try to grab her as a hostage. Heather seemed stunned by the sudden event. Come on, Susan grunted as she pulled. Heather got to her knees. Susan planned to run over and retrieve the chrome revolver once Heather was moving. Kirk got up on his knees, shaking his head. He roared and grabbed Susan's boot. She toppled face down onto the blankets. She quickly rolled left, narrowly escaping a two-fisted blow. Heather scrambled away on all fours. Susan tried to crab-crawl backward to escape Kirk, but he grabbed her leg again. Don't know you don't, he muttered. Susan kicked him away, but she was still on her back. Kirk jumped to his feet. He grabbed her by the front of her coat and threw her over the campfire. She landed on the stack of firewood. Logs scattered everywhere. The impact nearly knocked the wind out of her. Before she could get to her feet, he grabbed her again. He spun her around with her arm painfully wrenched behind her back. You're trouble, he growled. I think I'll make you pay double rent. He spun her around with both her wrists clinched together by her coat cuffs in one of his fists. His other hand pulled another zip tie out of his pocket. She struggled to back away and break her hands free. He jerked her closer to him in a tug-of-war. After a particularly vigorous jerk, her olive jar fell out of her pocket. It bounced on the thin snow and tumbled over the edge of the promontory. 
Susan watched it fall with horror in her eyes. The jar smashed on the rocks below. The crash made Kirk glance over the edge. Susan screamed in rage. She stopped trying to pull away from Kirk's grasp. Instead, she lunged at him, colliding, head to chin. The impact sent Kirk reeling backwards. He released his grip. Susan bounced off of Kirk and fell backward, landing on her shoulders. Kirk staggered, but he didn't fall. He recovered his footing. With a war cry of his own, he dove on top of Susan, grabbing her by the throat with both hands. His mouth was twisted in a deep snarl. His eyes were almost hidden beneath a fierce frown. Susan tried to scramble backward, but was pinned beneath Kirk. Her arms flailed for traction, but found only snow. She began to feel lightheaded. One hand brushed against something. Bark. Her hand closed around a stick of firewood. She swung the firewood up to hit Kirk. The log smacked across his ear. Kirk leaned back, grimacing and clutching his ear. Susan scrambled backward. She got to her feet. Kirk, still on his knees, shook his head and looked around. Channeling David Ortiz in the ninth inning, Susan set a wide stance, gripped the log like a short baseball bat. She swung the bat for all she was worth. Crack! Kirk toppled onto his side, then rolled over the edge of the promontory. Susan stood transfixed for a moment, watching him fall and bounce off the rocks below. She knew she had to chase him down and make sure he was out of action. She took sidesteps, looking for a better spot to descend the bluff. Hey! came a shout from behind her. She turned to see Blake holding her rifle over his head. He tossed it to her. She grabbed it with one hand and hurried down the snowy rocks. Did she plan to shoot him when she caught up with him? She only had ten rounds. That didn't seem like enough. If he got up and ran, she would shoot all ten of them into his back. If he pleaded for his life, she might shoot all ten of them into his gut. The footing was slippery. She had to concentrate on steadying herself and less on how Kirk might die. She saw a glimpse of his gray shirt and red suspenders between the trees. She descended to the right so as to not come down too close to him. When she got to the bottom of the cliff, Kirk was nowhere to be seen. She was certain that she would have seen him run, or footprints, or something. There was nothing. Glancing up, she saw a gray-clad arm hanging over one of the larger rocks. He was moving, though not very much. She quickly scrambled up the adjacent rocks and pulled her rifle to her shoulder. As she cleared the larger rock, she leveled the rifle at the gray shape. The front sight was centered on his chest. Kirk moaned and twisted as if trying to right himself. Susan climbed a step higher. This brought her into Kirk's field of vision. Oh, what, oh, what, um, an His face was scraped badly on one side. His right leg lay at an odd angle. Susan guessed that it had to be broken to bend that way. She moved farther around him, the front sight centered on his face. Oh, what happened? He looked around like a drunk. Susan thought that shooting him in his befuddled state would be a waste of justice. He needed to know who ended his evil life and why. As he craned his neck to try and orient himself, Susan noticed a curved piece of glass sticking out of his neck. Blood flowed from the cut. She saw it surge rhythmically. Arterial, she thought. He finally focused his eyes on the muzzle aimed at him. 
He tried again to roll onto his side, but gasped in pain as he tried to move his leg. He rolled onto his back. You! Yeah, what are you gonna do? She didn't answer for a long time. Talking to him seemed disgusting. You aren't gonna shoo me, he declared like a belligerent wino. No, she said coldly. I don't have to. She wasn't going to dignify him with any description of his condition. A broken leg at the bottom of a ravine might be survivable, if excruciatingly painful. However, being without a coat, gloves, boots, or hat in the middle of winter drastically shortened the time he had to find aid. Hypothermia would start setting in within a matter of hours. Bleeding from his neck, he might not have more than an hour, even if he had been coherent enough to figure out solutions. Between her home-run swing and the rocks, he wasn't coherent. With the cold and the blood loss, he wasn't going to get any more coherent. No, Kirk, I don't have to shoot you. You're going to die here all on your own. As she climbed the rocks, he called out, Hey, you ain't gonna leave. She stared into his eyes. Alone in the woods is a terrible place to die. This was another of those chapters that was kind of hard to write. To keep things realistic, the story needed to acknowledge that there are bad men out there who will prey upon women. Heck, we have that now, even when it's not a grid-down crisis situation. Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer, Bill Cosby, Dr. Larry Nasser. Some men, in a position of power, will leverage that power to satisfy themselves at the expense of others. There's little reason to expect that if we did find ourselves in a grid-down world, that such men would behave any better. No, I rather suspect that there could be more such opportunists out there if today's social and legal constraints were removed. So, for that fine line, for the sake of realism, I needed to include that darker side of reality. But I didn't want the siege story to wallow in that sort of darkness. I have read some post-apocalyptic stories in which the authors have been a little too willing to wallow, letting their tale become sort of gratuitously graphic. There was a balancing act to do. Depict the harsh reality that predatory men would still be a danger, especially to vulnerable women, and yet not let the text drift into pulp fiction tawdriness. Of course, I couldn't let the bad guy win. Susan was becoming a very capable person, and was not going to stand by passively while evil tried to have its way. She isn't a helpless city girl any longer. I'd like to give a shout-out to Andrea for her buying me some coffees at Buy Me a Coffee, and extend a public, uh, sorry about that, to my Siege Club member, Kirk, for the unfortunate coincidence of his name and the story's recent villain. If you've been enjoying the story, please consider buying me a coffee as a show of support. Siege Club members and patrons at Patreon are getting previews of the chapters of Book 6 as I write them. That and other newsy bits and photos from the homestead, like last week's video of a bobcat prowling around my chicken coop. The Perks of Membership. Next week, Part 2 of Chapter 19. See you then.